Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fight fans, it's a Kokumo Chatra here once again um, with another episode of MMA Monthly, and I'm joined by the one and only Dave Hendrick. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, Mo. I'm good. How's things, Joe? Yeah, other than the frog in my throat, uh, pretty good myself. Um, just uh, enjoying um, all the MMA that's out there. It's um, been really action-packed since we last spoke. Um, so much to talk about. Um, how about yourself, Dave? How are you keeping? I'm good. I'm good. The Bank of Canada have finally given me my money back and are allowing me now to spend my own money, having decided I was trying to commit fraud, because it's very unusual for an Irish person to buy plane tickets to Ireland. So they oh, I can't be doing that. Oh, it's hilarious. They they blocked the transaction, even though like I've done it before. They blocked the transaction, then took the money out of my account and held it, <laughs> despite me going in and asking for it back three different times. Um, and they held it for over a week, and finally we have it back. We have our flights booked, so um, things are things are looking up, Mo. Things are looking up. Oh, good, good. Well, excellent. So, uh, Dave Hendrick, um, the homecoming coming very soon. Then, excellent, good stuff. Right. So, um, Dave, a lot has happened as I mentioned earlier, and um, the uh, theme, the main talking point of our pod last month was um, the biggest fight of the year in Floyd Money Mayweather against Conor McGregor, where the fight went down, um, broke all sorts of records. Um, you know, if not the biggest selling pay-per-view of all time, then very close, number two. Um, but yeah, plenty to talk about in terms of this fight. Um, mm. Exceeded some people's expectations. Um, and by the end of it, um, Conor McGregor came out with a lot of respect from a lot of people, didn't he? He did, and deservedly so. I mean, look, I said it on that part. This was going to be one of two things. Either Conor was going to knock him out early, or it was going to become a glorified sparring match, and Mayweather would beat him by decision. Now, as it turned out, Mayweather stopped him, but he stopped him because Conor got tired. He didn't stop him because of, you know, damage or the power of the shots that he hit him with or anything like that. Um, But Conor, look, 
people can say Mayweather gave away the first four rounds all they want. As it's turned out, the judges only gave him one round, which is bullshit. But um, Mayweather doesn't give away rounds. He doesn't work as hard in the early rounds he does later on because he's allowing you the opportunity to open yourself up. But you still have to go and win those rounds. And Connor clearly won the first four rounds, There's, or he, at least the first three. There's no question oh, yeah. he won at least the first three. I went first so, four. So, so did I. I thought he won the first four. I thought Mayweather won the next five. And then obviously it's, it got stopped in the tenth. But Connor still has to go and win those rounds. And he landed a couple of great shots. That uppercut that he hit Mayweather with was, it was one of the best shots Floyd's ever been hit with. Um I did kind of feel like Connor was pulling his punches a little bit, not committing to them the way he does in MMA, perhaps worried about his cardio, um, which is, you know, understandable. But look, he went in there with arguably the greatest boxer ever, if not the greatest, certainly top five, definitely the great greatest defensive boxer of all time. And he he held his own, you know, he did. He held his own for 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 the majority of the fight until he got knackered. Um, landed some good shots. Landed a lot of like soft, slappy shots as well. But look, he's not a boxer. At the end of the day, he's not a boxer. And it took Floyd until the 10th round when Connor was out on his feet from exhaustion to stop him. If they fought in MMA, that fight would last 45 seconds maximum. Before oh, yeah. it was, and then it would be over. So it, it did go to show that an M, a, a top top level MMA guy can go and look. They're not going to beat a top level boxer. They're not even going to go and beat an like a mid level boxer. But like you could take the best boxer in the world and put him in an MMA cage with, you know, a novice, a basic novice, some guy who's got like two or three fights, and it would last less than a minute. Because of the many, many different paths to victory in MMA. Um, so I, I think Connor did, did himself proud. I think he did MMA proud. I think we're going to see more MMA fighters want to do something like this. I could see maybe Tyron Woodley wanting to do something like this. But what I would advise is a bit of caution here in that Floyd Mayweather, yes, he's one of the greatest fighters ever, if not the greatest ever. But he's 40. He's not a power puncher, and he's a defensive fighter. Now, I know he came out of his shell in this fight, but I I, I saw someone suggest that um, that uh, Tyron Woodley could, could fight, you know, a, a top super middleweight boxer. He'd get killed. He would get killed in a, against a top level in their prime power puncher. It wouldn't be as even a contest as this Mayweather-McGregor fight was. Oh, totally, yeah. Absolutely. Um, no, it was certainly a fight that um, you know, many many people um, were really dismissive of, um, talked about it being a, a joke. Um, people speculating about how you know the fight may, may be a work. Um, really, really critic- uh, criticising both guys. And even after the fight, in fact, you know, there are those that were saying, look, um, yes, Mayweather has got 50-0 now as a record, but it's not uh, something that should be taken seriously. It shouldn't be going down as a record book. It's something that has broken the record of Rocky Marciano, and there should be an asterisk next to it. Um, but 
what what do you think about the impact on both fighters' legacies? Um, you, do you think that it was good or bad for the legacies? Don't think it really changes either of their legacies. I kind of agree with the whole thing about the 50 and 0. Because like, Connor's not a boxer. Like, um, If he'd had four or five fights before this and, and won them, then fair enough. But he's not a boxer. Um, like... It's like the same where, like, when I look at Randy Couture and look through his career, I don't count the win over James Tony because James Tony's not an MMA fighter. Um, so I just don't count that one. Um, but I don't think it really has any effect on their legacies other than marking them down as the two greatest draws in the history of combat sports, along with Mike Tyson. You know, um, there's, there's, there hasn't been, I don't think, final numbers released on the pay-per-view. But Dana White has said it's 6.4 million. Now, 6.4 million is 1.9 million more than Mayweather Pacquiao did. And I know Dana kind of said that offhandedly to, I think it was Uriah Faber. Um, but I don't think he'd just say it for the point of saying it. He's very, very careful with this kind of stuff, um, is Mr. White. So I kind of think that is the number, in which case they've blown all records out of the water. Connor has probably made somewhere in the region of 130 to 150 million dollars before taxes. So he'll probably walk away with 90 million after everything is paid out, like taxes and, you know, fees and his trainers and all this camp and all that kind of stuff. Or 130 million if he's got Donald Trump's accountants. Well, this is it, and that that might be where Connor needs to needs to look. Um, but Floyd has probably walked away with about 300 million from this because remember, Floyd is the the primary promoter of this fight. Uh, this was a Mayweather Mayweather production, so um, Floyd Floyd has just you know he's just rinsed it like he's made so much money that. Uh, that it's just it it's it's disgusting to think what he'll even do with that money over the next you know forty or fifty years or however long he lives. Um, so I don't think it has any. Through it in about a year. No one, Floyd. He'll definitely he'll he'll definitely be on a splurge somewhere. There's definitely yeah. some high end cars and watches being bought. But I, I actually think Floyd's a, probably a, a little bit better with his money than we all give him credit for. Um, because he, he Floyd surround himself surrounds himself with with intelligent people. So I, I'm sure he's probably got a financial advisor and a business manager who take care of a lot of his money. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's probably made a billion dollars from boxing. A billion dollars. Now think of how much cash that is. Even at the rate Floyd spends it, I, I don't think he could get through that. Um, so, you know, I think Floyd will be fine. Um, but like, I think... I think it boosts Connor because it's made him a bigger global star, which I think will have a knock-on effect on the UFC. Like I could, I could potentially see uh, Connor versus Diaz three if that is the next fight for him. I, th- I could potentially see that doing two million um, pay-per-view buys, which would be what five hundred thousand more than the current record for a UFC uh, UFC pay-per-view, which of course Connor holds. Um, so I think for Connor, I think it's all it's all good. It's all good news. For Floyd, you know, people will argue about the fifty and zero versus the forty nine and zero and the or the fifty and zero with an asterisk. But he, look, they called it the money fight. They made the money belt. 
neither of these guys were pretending they were there for any reason other than to make buckets and buckets of cash. So, like, let's all settle down. For all the wankers who come out and said, oh, but it's bad for boxing. Oh, it's terrible for boxing. No, fuck you, Oscar De La Hoya, because the fight you promoted with Triple G against Canelo, your boy Canelo got his ass handed to him, lost a wide decision, but because you bribed Adelaide Bird and one guy decided to call it a draw because he's a clown, Canelo gets a draw, so now you get to do it again. And hopefully the pay-per-view buys will be a little bit better next time. You can make some more money so you can feed your cocaine addiction. Um, because there's no way that was a draw. There's no way that was a draw. And it's corrupt decisions like that that are bad for boxing. And the funniest part of it is that Oscar De La Hoya has spent the best part of 10 years telling anyone that would listen that he was the victim of corrupt officiating when he fought Floyd Mayweather and he felt he won. Well, now... He's the promoter of the most important fight of the year. Not the biggest fight. That was Floyd versus Connor, But the most important fight of the year. He's the primary promoter. And look what happened. One of the worst judging decisions of the last 20 years. That's right up there with Pacquiao um, against Bradley in the first fight. When Pacquiao whooped him and lost the decision how anyone could watch that fight and not have Triple G up by minimum three rounds. Minimum three rounds is beyond me. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, for people in the sport of boxing to complain about things like Mayweather against McGregor um, affecting the integrity of the sport is is just the most um, absurd kind of views you could possibly have right up there with Donald Trump being a good president. Sorry, I'm making this political, guys. Sorry about that, but uh, he's such an easy target, isn't he, Mr. Trump? Um, but, yeah, no, you're completely right. Um, you know, it, this was a fight that um, was quite clear in what its role was there for. And, um, you know, there were millions of people around the world that were willing to part with huge amounts of money to watch it. And, um, you know, all things considered, it turned out to be a massive success. And, um be quite right as well. Um, there will be others that will try to follow suit with more um, boxing versus MMA contests. Almost guaranteed, though, none if they, uh, unless they involve McGregor himself, will be as successful as this one was. This was really no. the perfect mix um, for a contest Look, of this type. You, you could take, you know, Steve Miocic, the heavyweight champion of the UFC, and put him in against, you know. Um, Anthony Joshua, the heavyweight boxing champion. And sure, it'll do good numbers because Joshua's a huge star. But it wouldn't do a patch on the numbers that, say, Connor against Paulie Malinaji would do. Because Connor is the star. Floyd was the star. That's why this worked, because you took the two biggest names in combat sports, you put them together, and just like when, you know, Floyd fought... Oscar or when he fought Pacquiao, you're putting two stars together. And then the difference, of course, is that you're adding in the MMA fans. So Connor has a huge fan base in MMA. He also has a huge number of people who are MMA fans that don't like him and would like to see him get badly beaten. And he 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 embraces that. I mean Connor loves those people as much as he loves his fans because they they buy every pay-per-view. 
You know, they put money in his bank account. And um, it, this, this was this fight. Look, it was a spectacle. That's all it was ever going to be. And it was fun. It was sloppy as fuck. Connor's boxing technique was was better than I think most people expected. But obviously, it wasn't a professional boxer standard. But it was a fun fight. Like, I, I don't understand why anybody would be would be upset. I don't understand why certain dickheads who are, you know, uh, involved in boxing have set out over the last month and a half or however long it's been, two months, a yeah, month and a half, um, to try and prove that, you know, Floyd just handed the rounds away, that it wasn't a competitive fight. Like, it wasn't going to be a competitive fight. The only way Conor could win was to land a big shot early. That was the only way he was ever going to win. Other than that, it was just going to be what it was. And everybody knew that. If you paid money for it, you, you paid money knowing that's what was going to happen. I'm sorry, that's just the truth. You know, and so for me, I enjoyed the McGregor Mayweather fight. I thought it was a, I thought it was a fun spectacle. Um, and that's that's all it was ever meant to be. Absolutely, yeah. Served its purpose. Made both guys even richer than they already were before it. And, um, you know, cut some fantastic promos as well, mostly from um, Connor. And, yeah. yeah, certainly made it really. And look, um, you know why a lot of people are bitter, Mo? You, you know why a lot of these boxers are bitter? Because Connor McGregor has made more in his professional boxing debut than these guys have made in 40 fight careers. And well, that's why they're bitter. That, exactly. That's why they're bitter. Because this guy came in from a different sport having never competed professionally in their sport before. And he is a bigger name, a bigger star. Look, with Floyd gone, with Floyd now retired, if Connor decides he wants to be a boxer now, he's the biggest star in boxing. End of story. Mm. No one else can touch those numbers. Like, obviously, the Canelo uh, Triple G numbers aren't out yet. I'd, I'd estimate they're probably around a million pay-per-view buys. Yeah, Connor, make, Connor, makes more, Connor makes more than that in MMA, and the MMA fan base is about a third of what the boxing fan base is. So, you know, we're the fraction of the publicity as well. Obviously, boxing exactly. gets a lot more mainstream publicity in press than, um, of course, you know, even Connor's MMA fights do. So, uh, yeah, that makes a difference as well. But yeah, you're quite right. It it's, um, goes to show, you know, the power of personality. You know, if you've got a really magnetic personality and you've got the gift of the gab, um, that still makes, that still shifts the needle. It still brings money. And uh, it's a lesson for fighters, not just boxing, but MMA fighters as well. That, um, you know, you really need to stand out. Absolutely. The the fight is not what you're selling. Sell yourself. That's what McGregor does. It's what Chael Sonnen did before him. It's what Floyd has done for years. And you know where they all got it from? They all got it from Ric Flair. Sell yourself. You're the star. If you're in the building, it matters. It matters that you're in the building, let alone in the ring. And that's what they've all learned. And I think we'll see more guys. Um, I think this Kevin Lee kid who's fighting Tony Ferguson is quite a good self-promoter from what I've seen. And I think we're going to see more guys who have confidence um, selling themselves about what a big star they are. Not talking up, you know, Connor says, 
oh, I'm going to dust this guy in one round. But what he'd say far more often is, I'll wipe out the whole division. I'd wipe out the whole roster. That's what Connor talks about, how much better he is than everybody else. Connor talks about the numbers, how he's the draw, how other guys are free TV fighters, things like that. That's why people want to see Connor fight, because he's got this unusual level of confidence in himself. And God, he backs it up every time he goes in. Like I know he lost to lost to Nate and he lost his fight to Floyd. He was all gonna lose to Floyd in the boxing match. Of course he lost to Nate at 170. Like the thing is, Connor, the fights Connor has lost, he should lose. But he's also won fights that he should lose. Like Connor should not beat Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is the greatest fighter ever at that weight class, and Connor smoked him in 13 seconds. Connor should lose to Nate in the second fight, but he beats him. And I thought he beat him comfortably. I didn't think there was any controversy about it. Connor should lose to Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez won the greatest 155ers ever. Connor never fought in the UFC at 155. Connor should lose those fights, but he won them. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. the two fights he lost, Nate won and, uh, and, and this, this Floyd boxing match. Of course he should lose them. Came from 145 to 170 to fight a guy who had fought a lot at 170 in his career. Nate's a much bigger man than Connor is. And of course he's going to lose to Floyd in a boxing match. You know? Oh yeah, totally, yeah. And that's what, you know, shows just how much of a smart businessman he is because, you know, he, he thinks outside the box and he's willing to take on challenges that most other fighters would completely shy away of that would never ever consider. I mean, GSP is great a fighter as he was, um, diverted away from Anderson Silva for years and years, didn't he? Yeah. Never wanted to take that fight. G, I think that, I think I, I honestly think GSP is like the anti McGregor. I think GSP has suffered from a lack of confidence um, for a long time. I think probably, since Matt Sarah KO'd him, really, I think that took his confidence. And he went away from being that really exciting fighter that he was early in his career to being a fairly boring wrestler. You Very know, first. He, he adopted wrestling. He, he'd never been a wrestler before. He wrestled probably in high school. But he'd never been a wrestler in the UFC. And he went, yeah, like you say, he went safety first. He fought to win, which is... How smart, well, this is a smart thing to do. It's like Floyd. He, Floyd fights to win, but he doesn't fight, fight to knock people out. It's different with Floyd because Floyd's not getting hit. Floyd, Floyd can fight whatever way he wants, but Floyd fights the way that he's not going to end up when he's 60 with a brain like mush the way his dad has. Do you know what I mean? Whereas GSP was doing it because he was scared of losing. Floyd's not scared of losing. Floyd knows he's the best, but GSP was scared of losing. And um, I think he probably put too much pressure on himself. And when the UFC went to start going to Canada more, it put a lot of pressure on, on GSP. And obviously around that time, the older guard, the, the Chuck Liddell, the Rich Franklin and the Matt Hughes of the world, they were, and Randy Couture, of course, they were all sort of going over the hill. And he was leading the charge up the hill to replace them along with Anderson and kind of, round two of BJ and 
we were seeing different guys come into the heavyweight division. Um, and I think it put a lot of pressure on George because the UFC were struggling at the time in terms of pay-per-view sales. Uh, and, and George was expected to be the guy because he's a, you know, he's a good looking guy. He's incredibly talented. And I think they were hoping GSP would be their cash cow. And I just don't think he, he, he coped well with the pressure. And we've heard, we've heard, you know, GSP talk about how he was bullied as a kid and, how he had quite a difficult time when he was growing up. So I, I do think GSP is a guy that suffers from a crisis of confidence. Um, and he's, he, like you say, he, he, he shied away from the Anderson fight for a long time. And um, now he's coming back to fight at middleweight. And I don't know, it's, it's a weird one. I don't like that he's just been handed the title shot, especially when they have, you know, they have an interim champion who deserves that fight more than GSP does, but I understand why they're doing it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a money fight, especially for Bisping, um, who's looking to looking to make sure that he's well taken care of for the rest of his life, um, which is understandable. Mm, absolutely. Um, so moving subjects then on to um, one of the other big names from the UFC and um, arguably their best pound for pound fighter of recent years. Um, one John Bones Jones. Now he was somebody who we were talking about. Um, it's part of this almost like redemption story of having gone down to the depths of despair with all types of personal issues that had plagued his career, coming back after a year or two away, um, and uh, reclaiming his UFC light heavyweight championship in a fight against Daniel Cormier at UFC 214. Um, and then we heard about um, his drug test failure. And that's been confirmed in the last um, week and a half or so mm-hmm. with confirmation that his second sample also tested positive. And um, mm-hmm. that was for a steroid called uh, Turinabol. So um, it looks like a, a second uh, positive drug test, which therefore means a second ban. And that could mean as much as four years ban um, from mixed martial arts competition. I hope he gets Bad. four years. Mm-hmm. I genuinely hope he gets four years. Uh, just for people that don't know it, it's it's a fast it's an old school steroid this is not something that this is not something that some guy would slip you or that you could accidentally take this is this is a like this is a proper steroid user's steroid this is something that disappears from your system um in 72 hours and to me this tarnishes his entire career and i now put asterisks beside every victory this man has in his MMA career because he could well have been cheating his entire career. And a number of fighters over the years have suggested that John Bones Jones has been using steroids. A number of fighters. And this, for me, points to, I believe he probably was. I believe his entire legacy is gone I don't want to hear about him in pound-for-pound lists. I don't want to hear that he's the greatest fighter of all time. I don't want to hear that he's the greatest light heavyweight of all time. For me, he's nothing now. He's a cheat. And his entire legacy is tarnished. In the same way that Barry Bonds' entire career is tarnished and Roger Clemens' career is completely tarnished, John Jones' entire career has been flushed down the toilet because he's an idiot. It's hard to disagree. Um, and the shame of it is, is that, you know, looking beyond possibly tainted performances, and it might have been that 
all of his UFC wins mm. may have had um, the effects of uh, steroids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, looking past that, you still see a fighter that still had so much natural natural yeah. ability. And that's the thing, and, uh, Mo. He had all the natural ability in the world. Look at the physical advantages he had over everybody. He's six foot four. He's got longer arms than anybody that's ever fought in the UFC. He's a giant human being who, because of great genetics, is, is able to cut his weight down to 205, when realistically he should be a heavyweight. But he's able to cut himself to 205 without killing himself. And he, he should, like, regard steroids and all, he should be able to, of course he's able to dominate. He's the biggest guy in the division. He's the most skilled guy in the division. Of course, he's able to dominate all these guys who are much smaller than him. If you put Anderson Silva fighting 155ers, he'd kill them all. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. Jones is able to do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, in terms the whole of lot fan, is fucked now. Oh, yeah. I cannot disagree with you in the slightest, and I completely agree with you. I hope he really gets nailed with a four-year ban. Especially given that UFC made such a big um, fuss about implementing this new um, drug testing policy yeah. a couple of years back, and um, but you know what, the only well, way... they're to blame. They're to blame for this because they've enabled him the whole way along. They've yeah. enabled him. He gets done for the cocaine thing. Oh, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Come back. Does the hit and run thing? Take his belt away. Bring him back. Slap a belt in his shoulder. Fails the test goes away, comes back straight into a title fight. They've enabled this behavior. Dana White has questions to answer to his shareholders now as to why he has enabled John Jones to behave like this. Greg Jackson has questions to answer as to why, as John Jones head coach, he has enabled this behavior. Because this is happening in his gym. He's not getting those drugs from some guy on the side of the street. He's getting those drugs in that gym. Well, there were well, fighters that... Um, the other option is maybe... Yeah, maybe he's getting... Yeah, that's it. It's not, not from Greg Jackson. Sorry, that's not what I'm saying. But someone at that gym... Or, or the other option is maybe he gets them from one of his brothers who play in the NFL because there's a lot of steroids in the NFL. So maybe he's getting it from there. But either way, like they have to have known... They have to have known. There's no way oh, yeah. he's been like he was doing this without their knowledge. Hmm. Do you know well, that's, that's a gym full of people? Right. Yeah, UFC for many years essentially turned a blind eye to steroid usage. It was it was commonly known, um, not only within UFC but even you know you you go to any even amateur gyms who've got any connections with even low level UFC fighters, MMA fighters they'll tell you that um, steroid usage in UFC was rampant. And, I mean, it's not as if usage has completely stopped. I mean, there's obviously been quite a large uh, drop in usage, and you just have to look at the physiques of a lot of fighters to notice that there has been a change, but it's not completely been eradicated because um, nobody's been slapped with a four-year ban yet, or even a lifetime ban if it's, I think, three, three um, suspensions. Um, and that's why I think they really have to make a statement with this one, because if one of their biggest draws is sidelined for four years with a suspension, that sends a serious message to every single fighter and aspiring fighter that, look, you get caught, you're going to get nailed. And it doesn't matter who you are. Exactly. You're the, you're the, the greatest fighter of 
grand, fuck you, four years. That's what it has to be, because it has to send a message. Because if he gets a year, like, a year is nothing. Fighters go a year with, between fights all the time. So a year doesn't mean anything. Two years doesn't even mean anything for a second offence like this. It has to be four years. It has to be. If they're not, like, they ban Nick Diaz for life for smoking weed. They banned Vanderlei for running away. Now, Vanderlei is one of the biggest juice heads in the history of the sport, but they've banned him for life for <laughs> running away from the tester. Mm, like, literally. This is what annoys me. They, they take not taking the test more seriously than failing the test. Yeah. And it's just, it's not, it's nonsense. Yeah. But he, he needs, he needs to get the four years. You know what? Though, like, he needs to get the four years, and he needs to go away for a year and sort his life out and sort his head out, and not go on the Joe Rogan podcast and make stupid jokes about how you got a good, a massive cock, Joe. Like, no, you don't. You've got a small, shrivy little thing and no, no fucking balls at all. But that's, that's what it does, you know, it, it causes your balls to shrink and you don't have money to begin with because you need these things to compete. So he didn't have any balls. You don't have any balls, you know, cock isn't big anymore. It shrivels up and it dies. So, um, I don't want to hear him doing that because that, he's just, just making a mockery of the whole thing. The guy failed a drug test and he goes and he makes a mockery of the whole thing. Oh, he was taking dick pills. Like, fuck off. Mm-hmm. You were taking them to cover up what you were doing. I reckon. I honestly think he was doing the same thing for that fight and he just got caught trying to cover it up. And I think he's just stupid and he can't time things, probably can't cycle time his cycles or because USADA are now doing things different ways to turn up at different times. So they're catching them differently. But yeah. either way, either way, like I don't want to see this guy in the cage for, for the next four years. Oh yeah. He's, he's completely damaged goods. Absolutely. But, I mean, in terms of the rest of the division, though, it really is bad news because Cormier now is once again the champion. So the belt has been returned to him after the uh, two and four main event result was overturned. And um, it's bad news because to your average fight fan, even though they'll they'll all be aware that um, Jones was under the influence of um, performance enhancing drugs, they still saw Cormier stopped and yeah. um, lose by TKO and get the belt back yet again. So and that's the, that's the weird thing in. because directly after the after this came out that he'd been that he'd been um, popped for the test, Cormier was was saying all these things of oh like I, I I still feel like I lost I lost blah 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 blah, and then he gets the belt back and he's trying to rationalise it with oh well. You know, technically the fight never happened. Fair enough, son. But we still saw you got your ass handed to you. We still saw you get got get stopped. I'm sorry. Take the belt off him and set. Take your get get your top four light heavyweights. Put their names in a hat and draw them at random. Two semi-finals and a final, and do that over you know a three-month period. Say at UFC 218, uh, Cormier fights. Gustafsson, yeah, and and you know, Demir against uh, Texero or something like that. Yeah, on this on the same night, have those two fight those two fights on the same night, and then three months later, roll them out for a title fight. 
And he's like, be he's this shit of just handing him the title. Yeah. You know, it, like he's he's now been champion twice. Sorry, is this yeah, this is his test second. So he's second. Been, yeah. And he's never beaten the champion like so. Oh. Yeah, what a mess. It's um really poor all round and uh, leaves behind a division that is um, damaged in terms of its um, standing amongst um, the rest of the many divisions within UFC that um, the division's most dominant fighter of recent years, mm. once again, yet again, um, is caught um, with um, a positive drug test. So um, bad news for Jones, bad news for like heavyweight division, bad news for Cormier and uh, UFC have to really hope that, um, with up-and-comers like Ustamir, um, the division's prestige and the titles um, standing can be elevated, but it won't be any time soon. Um, no. Right, so, sorry, was, was there another point you went to add, Dave? No, no, that's it. That's you, You've nailed it. Um, the division's fucked, so they've got to get it back to where it was when Liddell was, was the king, you know? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And that was a time when it was the um, crown jewel of UFC was the light heavyweight division, um, but that seems a, l- a long, long time ago. Now, since we um, last um, recorded our MMA monthly pod, um, been a number of UFC events, and we'll have a very quick recap um, of those events. Then, um, large, largely covering the main events of each of those shows. So we had uh, UFC Fight Night in um, Rotterdam in Holland um, on September the second. Um, pretty decent show, number of um, stoppage uh, finishes, which has been actually a theme which I'll come back on to um, after we recapped these shows. Um, but the main event was um, a battle of two of the tallest fighters in the UFC, uh, six foot seven um, Volkov against um, six foot eleven and three quarters um, Stefan Strew. So I, rec- Volkov- I, rec- I reckon he's about six foot nine quarters, is Stefan Struve. <laughs> Or six foot eleven and nine quarters. I reckon he's over seven feet at this point. Um, yeah, two very very tall men. Um, a normal man could have stood in the middle and not been hit once because they've just been swinging over his head. But I, I enjoyed that fight. I thought it was a good fight. I thought Volkov looked very very impressive. Um, Struve's an interesting one because uh, he reminds me so much of Sammy Schultz. And I think he'd have much more success in kickboxing than he does in MMA. Um, but he's, you know, he's a solid fire. But, you know, Volkov is a, is a guy on, on the rise. He's going to be another big win for him. And we could be seeing him get lined up against Stipe. And that could be an interesting one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, three wins in a row now in UFC. Um, split decision victory over Tim Johnson. Um, notable win, unanimous decision victory over Roy Nelson, mm. um, who was always a difficult opponent, and obviously this win over Struve. So uh, certainly moving up pretty quickly in the uh, rankings of the heavyweight division, um, and that's another division that hasn't quite had um, good times in the last couple of years that it has perhaps had in the past um, when lights of Couture and um, Brock Lesnar were, were dominating. Um, but yeah, overall pretty good show. Um, and uh, potential star in the making in Alexander Volkov. Mm. Um, we then came to uh, another show, um, which was um, UFC 215, only a week later on the 9th of September 
out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, your new um, home country, Dave. And um, this was a show that was uh, main evented by um, a women's bandsweight championship contest between Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko. And um, a lot of talk, a lot of debate about who really won this contest. Who, who did you think was the winner of this one? I thought it was a draw. I thought it was a draw. Um, if, if if you force me to pick, I would suggest that I thought Nunez won the fight. I thought she just did a little bit more. Like she, You have to remember, the champion doesn't need to outright look victorious to be the winner. The champion has to beat them. Or that the challenger has to beat them. You have to outright beat them. Champion will always get the decision. Um, if it if it's anyway tight, you rarely rarely see titles change hands in a close a close decision. Um, so I I'd have given it to to Nunes, but I could see why people would say Shevchenko. I thought she was very crisp and clean with her work. I thought she made an absolute fool of herself in the cage afterwards, though, when she was been interviewed. Um, very very sore loser, and like I understand she was frustrated in that, but you know. Settle yourself down. Don't talk as much shit um, because you're going to have to fight her again and you just look like a spoiled brat, basically. Yeah, no, I thought um, very close contest. Um, and it was good to see because Nunes has been on such a tear the last couple of years, mm. running through opponents that um, to come up with, come up against somebody who gave her a test in Shevchenko was good to see. Um, going into the final round actually had them tied um, and um, I think it was 38-38 for both was my scorecard going into the fifth Um, and I think Nunes just about sneaked the fifth um, because of how highly weighted takedowns are even though Mm. once she had Shevchenko down she really didn't do anything down in fact it was Shevchenko who was the busier fighter um, fighting from the bottom um, landing more strikes in the end of the round so uh you know, it was a very close one, very difficult way to call either way. But, uh, yeah, you could certainly see why Shevchenko felt a little bit aggrieved. But, uh, yeah, you're quite right. The uh, the reaction was a little bit um, over the top. Yeah, uh, exa- exactly. Yeah. Um, so, of course, um, the, the big two big talking points in that fight were the two fights. That, that car of the two fights didn't happen. Um, we were looking forward to seeing... Demetrius Johnson uh, attempt to break Anderson's record of the most successful title uh, most successful most successful title defenses, um, which which would have been great. But obviously Ray Borg pulled out. And then the fight I was really looking forward to was JDS against Francis Ngou, and JDS gets pulled because he gets flagged by Usada. So uh, you know more talking points out of the ring than in the ring on that one, even even with the controversy over the uh, the main event. Well, that's it. And um, I think we'll see is a, a pretty common theme for the next year or two, at least. Um, is, uh, you know, some of the big fights on these shows being pulled, um, you know, days, weeks um, in the lead up to the events, um, invariably because of um, drug testing and things yeah. like that. So, you know, that, that's one of the unfortunate consequences, but it's for the greater good. Um, you know, we'll have to go through this transitional phase when um, fighters, you know, many of whom, most of whom are 
used to using some form of um, performance enhancing drugs um, have to wean themselves off. And it's only when the younger generation do come through um, who you're used to competing without using these substances or at least using smarter substances that are harder to detect. Um, you know, you know, the, these types of um, cancellations will occur. Um, we had yet another UFC con- uh, show one week later on the 16th of September, another UFC fight night um, back in the good old US of A out of Pittsburgh. And um, this was um, headlined by um, a middleweight contest between the former middleweight champion, Luke Rockhold, against um, the up-and-coming David Branch. And uh, in the end, it was another stoppage victory and um, a good performance by the former champion, Luke Rockhold, mm-hmm. who defeated David Branch in round two via submission. Yeah, I, I, I really like Luke Rockhold. I think he is the best middleweight in the world. And um, I think it's only a matter of time before he gets the belt back. I don't see anyone in that division, with the possible exception of Jack Perret, who could beat him and Jack Array just keeps losing fights he shouldn't lose. So I don't know that they'll ever they'll ever pair up, but look, Rockhold, in my view, a fully fit and completely focused Luke Rockhold walks through Michael Bisbing in less than a round. I think he'd walk through GSP in less than a round. And I, I don't see anyone that beats him. I genuinely don't. Yeah, I thought he looked very good. Very, very fired up promo after the fight, um, basically telling GSP not to take the contest with uh, Bisping for the championship because, quite rightly, he feels that he's the one who should be in that fight um, competing for the title. And, um, you know, he's got a very good case. Um, but, you know, like with many things, money talks and the UFC promoters felt that um, Bisping um, against GSP would draw more money than. Bisping versus Rockhold. So I guess that Rockhold will have to uh, wait his time and um, see who the winner of that fight between GSP and Bisping is. If it goes ahead and if it does, um, Rockhold almost surely will be next in line uh, for a crack at that middleweight championship. But uh, very good performance. Um, I mean, in terms of others on, on on that division, the only other person that comes to mind is uh, Weidman. I thought um, his last fight, he did look um, a little bit more like his old self and uh, he probably still needs another contest before he starts really knocking on the door for a title shot. But uh, Weidman, who looked um, you know, really um, out of sorts against um, other opponents when he fought most recently against um, Gaslam, certainly looked more like his old self. So he's the only he other fighter that's, that's that immediately comes to mind. Um, and then um, we had yet another show, and these have been weekly um, just in the last uh, couple of days as we record this. And um, that was um, emanating out of Pride's old stomping ground, um, the Saitama Super Arena in Japan. Um, disappointingly, only 8,500 in attendance. This is a venue that has held um, close to 40,000 um, for Pride's biggest shows um, yeah, back in the day. Regularly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, nonetheless, um, it was good to see um, MMA back in Japan. And uh, UFC had a pretty entertaining fight night, actually. A um, lot of uh, good matches on the uh, main card. Quite pleased to see the debut of Gohan Saki. Uh, yeah. A very prominent K1 fight. One of the most devastating knockout artists in uh, kickboxing in Muay Thai 
And um, his finish, um, the KO against Henrik de Silva, was um, highlight reel stuff. It's just fantastic. And it was great, actually, because um, Saki looked like he was completely winded. Um, I think he really wasn't accustomed to fighting. Well, clearly, he's not accustomed to fighting five-minute fight, um, five, five, five rounds. rather. And um, he was looking quite tired. And uh, just as de Silva was looking to get on top, and it looked like he might be closing on victory. Saki just came in with a couple of bombs and it just left the silver lane and he could have been laying there for a good five, ten minutes. It was devastating. So that was he'd, really he'd good. Still be, he'd still be laying there now if they hadn't woke him up. <laughs> Absolutely. That, it, it was it was a brutal, brutal knockout. Like oh, you say, no. it, was, it was a comeback knockout as well. But I'm, I'm really happy to see him in the UFC. He's had a, you know, he obviously lost, Saki lost his first MMA fight, won his second, and now I think this was his third. So, um, interesting to see how, how he progresses fighting at light heavyweight. Could be an interesting matchup for a couple of guys. You, you obviously don't want to see him fight someone like Cormier that's probably just going to take him down and not hold him down. Um, but, you know, it, him against Glover, to, if you give him a couple more fights for experience and then throw him in with Glover to share it, That'd be a whole lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge Saki fan as well, huge K1 fan. So it's great to finally see him. Because I've been waiting for Tyrone Spong to come in for years. And yeah. he doesn't look like he has any real interest in pursuing MMA anymore. So um, great to see Saki in. Um, the fight after that, of course, was uh, Dong Young Kim against Takanori Gomi. And Mo, I know you were a big Pride fan like I was. Don't you think it's time someone told Takanori Gomi it's time to retire? <laughs> well, I'm certainly not going to tell him. Um, but no, you're quite right. I mean, he's a guy who's been around forever. Um, you know, he was around, you know, throughout the uh, great days of Pride, um, fought on many of these big shows in Saitama. And, um, you know, at his peak was a really top-level fighter, one of the top 10 pound for pound fighters. In the world, but um, you know those days are long, long gone. Um, you know, he is four and four and nine in his last thirteen fights. Four and nine mm. since he entered the UFC. I'm not sure why he hasn't been cut. I assume it's because he is such a draw for the Asian market. Um, I know he's now fought in Asia for the UFC. One, two, three, four, five, six times in those thirteen fights. So I think there, therein lies the reason he's still in the UFC. But I mean, you know, knocked out last night, TKO'd yet last night, TKO'd by Jim Miller, TKO'd by Joe Lo, Lo, by Joe Lozon, TKO by Miles Jury. Um, you know, that's not good. And he was submitted by Jim Tuck. He's lost five in a row, by the way. He was submitted by Jim Tuck, by John Tuck, sorry. Um, these are guys that in his prime, Takanori Gomi just runs through, like yep. runs through these guys. Mm. Um, and now he he's not even making it competitive. He's lost all five fights inside the first round by stoppage. They're not competitive fights anymore. I'm sorry, but it is time for Takanori Gomi at 39 years of age, now with 49 fights under his belt it's time for actually I think it's 50 fights I think he has a a no contest he does against Nick Diaz 50 fights I think it's just time it is just time for him to just 
stick a fork in it, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the great um, MMA fighters, um, been around, as I say, since the, uh, uh, the the late 90s, in fact. And um, somebody who I grew up watching um, <laughs> when I was still at university, uh, when I used to get my Shuto tapes. Um, so the fact that, uh, you know, he's still around, um, you know, it's almost sad in a way, because when you see fighters who were so great at one time, um, still hanging on when they're, you know, on the verge of 40, um, and just being knocked out and, you know, being knocked out is, is something that's not good for your health. But when it happens, um, multiple times in, um, consecutive fights at that age, um, it, it really, really is not good at all. So I think for the sake of his own health, I'd hope that, um, you know, he calls it a day and uh, moves on to, uh, training the fighters of the future. Um, but you can certainly look back on his career, even with all those more recent losses with his held, head held high, um, one of the one of the MMA greats, um, and then um, we also then had um, a couple of really um, interesting fighters in the semi-main event with the women's strawweight division. Um, one of the fights I was really looking forward to, in fact, in uh, Jessica Andrade against uh, Claudio Guerrero, and um, this was a fight that went the distance uh, with Andrade getting the decision victory, um, but very competitive, very bloody. And um, a really absorbing contest. Mm. I, I'm a little bit surprised at how one-sided it was. I mean, it was it was it was competitive in patches, but I mean, you look at the scores: 30-25, That's two ten-eight rounds. 30-26, That's one ten-eight round. And thirty twenty-seven. So one judge thought that um, Andrade won all three and won two of them in dominant fashion, and like. Claudio Galil, that, that's a girl who's fought the best. Like, she's fought Joanna twice and given her pretty, you know, pretty competitive fights, especially the first one. First one was a split decision. Um, yeah. She was coming off the biggest win of her career against Carolina Kowalczyk. I, I can't pronounce that girl's name. Kowalczykowicz? I don't know. Um, whatever. Whatever way her name is pronounced, um, you know she was coming off the biggest win of her career, and and she she got owned, like she got dominated. And Jessica Andrade's a, a very very good fighter. She's very well rounded, um, strong stand up, great jujitsu. Uh, she's obviously coming off the loss against Joanna last time out, so she probably needs another fight to get back to Joanna. But this is the issue with the division. This is why Joanna doesn't really have much competition. Because all the rest of the girls in that division, the women in that division, I should say, they're all about the same level and they're all capable of beating each other. So it's very hard for them to run off a run of four or five wins in a row to prepare for her and earn the shot against her. So uh, curious to see what happens next with Joanna. I don't think uh, I don't think Andrade can fight her next because she's only just lost to her, and I think. Um, I think we need to see 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 what happens. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the problem with the division is that um obviously Joanna's such a dominant champion that um you know, she's several levels above everyone else in the division that um it's really hard to see anybody stepping up and um giving her a competitive fight. Um Kovalkovich, um 
looked half decent for a couple of rounds against her. Um, but all of them have really struggled to make any decent inroads um, in compromising what Joanna brings to the table. So she looks like she's somebody who could dominate for a long time. And then again, you know, you think back three or four years and we were looking at Ronda Rousey and she looked incredible. and It looked like she would be a champion for years and years. Um, but then with all the kind of fame and glory that came her way, that seemed to distract her. Um, and, well, see, you know, we had others come up and uh, eventually take a spot. So see, the thing know, as well, Mo, the thing as well, at straw weight, like because it's the lightest division, there's girls in that division that they're, they're actually a little bit small for that division, but there's no smaller weight class. Um, now, if the UFC brings in atom weight, uh, which I believe they should, then I think we'll see, I think we could see it becoming a competitive division, but I don't see anyone at straw weight that's going to touch Joanna. Certainly not anyone in the UFC. Now, maybe there's, you know, fighters and other organizations um, who are, you know, close to the level of Joanna and could come in and, and do what um, what we've seen happen to the likes of Holly Holm. But I don't see anyone in the UFC doing it. And I think again, like I say, a lot of those a lot of those women in that division shouldn't be fighting at 115. They should be fighting at 105. Um, Carolina is one. I think Claudia is another. I think they both belong at. Um, at one at one oh five, I don't think they belong at, at one fifteen. I don't think they're big enough, and they're like because she's so good and she's such a talented striker. Um, I just I just don't see that it makes sense for you know for her to be fighting these people that she's already beaten and will clearly just continue to beat. Mm, absolutely, um, but yeah, yeah, another division in the UFC which. Um, hasn't really got that kind of um, ultra competitive feel um, that you know some no. of the great divisions that we've seen like lightweight maybe five six years ago and like heavyweight maybe a decade ago had when you know you, you can point to six seven eight different individuals and say they could all be champion and um, so that's another division that's in need of um, something to reinvigorate it um, then on to the main event and um, this was a contest between Owen Prue um, against a guy who hasn't been around in UFC for a number of years, um, filling in for an injured uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua, who had to um, withdraw from the main event due to a knee injury. And um, this was Yushin Okami that stepped up um, with less than a couple of weeks' notice uh, to mm. face OSP. And, um, yeah, you could see why he hasn't been around in UFC for quite yeah. a while. Yeah, Lost I mean, it was four years since since we last saw Yushin. Um, yeah, pretty much four years. I like y- y- Yushin in his prime was a, was a really really good fighter, um, but he's he's a long way past that now. And I know he came in off the back of four successive wins, but I mean, you know, look at the look at the caliber of guys he's fighting now. Like they're not UFC level. Um, in, in his last six fights, he lost John John Fitch. And to David Branch, who we saw obviously lose to Luke Rockhold a week ago. So, for me, I mean, look, they, they, this was a panic move. They, they didn't want Yushin Okami, but he was who they could get. Because it's difficult to get a visa to go to Japan, especially on short notice. So, 
it was they had to find a Japanese fighter or someone who was already based there. Yushin was the guy they could get. And look, fair play, to, fair play to me. Came in on what two weeks notice, and um, he fought a he fought a good fighter. I mean, Ovin St. Peru is a good fighter. He's a he's a top ten light heavyweight. Um, I would have liked to have seen the seen the Shogun St. Peru fight. Um, I'm, but I'm, I'm sure we'll see it, you know, next maybe for both guys or whenever, whenever uh, Shogun is ready to go. But yeah, um, you know, the, the thing is for me, like Shogun's another one of the list of guys I want to retire. My rule now at this point is if you fought in Pride, retire. <laughs> if you were fighting when Pride was around, retire. Mm. Oh yeah. Fondly remembered, but it's been 11 years, guys. And um, yeah. most, and pretty much everyone is in, into their mid to late 30s, if not older. So uh, if you're still around and you were in pride, um, time to call it a day, methinks. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a great um, finish, though, by OSP. His third Von Fu choke um, in the UFC, um, which was, you know, he was one of the best um, submission holes in uh, mixed martial arts. And to see, that when it looks like um Akami had OSP um in a rear naked choke sorry not in a rear naked choke in a front face choke and um and instead it was uh Akami that um went to sleep and mm. um the referee in fact missed it and he had somebody shouted at him to he's gone he's out and um that was a, a beautiful thing to see a good victory for OSP but really it's a victory he should have had um quite comfortably and so he did yeah um so overall and th- Entertaining um, uh, with the fight night again coming out of Japan, and um, we now look ahead to uh, the month of October, and we've got a very big UFC coming up um, in a couple of weeks as we record this, and um, it's coming out of the T-Mobile Arena um, in Las Vegas, and it's UFC two on six with um, a pretty dec- decent lineup, and um, yeah. Yeah. the three yeah. top fights on this card are Fabio. Risha Radum against Derek Lewis in the heavyweight contest. Um, that fight you referred to earlier on, um, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson against Ray Borg, uh, with Johnson defending his uh, flyweight championship. And uh, then finally, in the main event, uh, we have Tony Ferguson fighting against Kevin Lee. So a really stacked uh, main card uh, for UFC 216. Yeah, it is, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think the the Verdum Lewis fight will be interesting. Of course, you've missed out the highlight of the show, which is obviously Paige Van Zandt. Um, but you know, uh, uh, obviously, look, it's going to be the 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 Verdum Lewis fight will be a lot of fun. It really will be. It'll be it's a you know contrasting styles. Um, Verdum is capable of beating anybody at any time in a, in a number of ways. He's a very well rounded fighter. He's you know, he's one of the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time. I mean, you know, look at look at his record. Um, Derek Lewis obviously comes in looking to do one thing and one thing only, and that is knock people out. And if he doesn't knock you out, he, you're probably going to knock him out because uh, I think all bar one of his losses have actually been by KO as well. So um, he, he either knocks you out or, or you knock him out. That's pretty much how his fights end. So that'll be fun. Um, very much looking forward to seeing the, the Demetrius uh, versus Ray Borg fight. I just think Demetrius is a lot of fun to watch because he's, he, 
I don't expect it to be a particularly competitive fight. I think Demetrius will win it comfortably, um, like he does most of his fights. But the main event is, is the start of the show here. Tony Ferguson against Kevin Lee, two absolute fucking killers, two barbarians. Um, both really well-rounded. Both can knock you out. Both can submit you. Uh, this is a really good fight, and it's, you know, for the honor of being the uh, the interim um, lightweight champion, for the honor of not fighting Conor McGregor next, uh, because Conor's not going to fight either of these guys. Uh, I, I don't know if Conor will ever fight either of these guys, because the they're, they're not a draw, and that's what Connor's looking for. He's looking for guys that are a draw that he can make money against right now. So I think Connor's going to fight Nate um, for the for the actual lightweight champion. Like I don't like all these interim titles, Mo. I've said this to you before. Um, I think it's a farce that we've got an interim middleweight champion who's not fighting the middleweight champion who's healthy. Uh, and again, I think it's going to be a farce that we're going to have a lightweight champion or an inter- interim light- lightweight champion whose next fight won't be against the lightweight champion and the lightweight champion's next fight won't be against the interim uh, champion. So to me, it doesn't make sense. I don't like the way they do this. Well, it's um, just really silly for this show that an interim title is headlining over an hmm. actual title. Um, you know, it should be, but again, it shows the lack of regard for um, Demetrius Johnson and the flyweight championship and the flyweight division. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a punishment. It's a punishment for Demetrius because he wouldn't fight TJ Dillashaw. And he's um, exchanging words over um, with, with Dana. Um, yeah, as well. yeah, exactly. So it's punishment for him. Um, you know, but it's it's a little silly because they should be celebrating this. Like they should be celebrating Demetrius because uh, if he wins the fight, obviously he breaks the record for the most um, the most successful title defenses, and that's huge. Like. And he's only 31. So, like, he's got a long, long time that he can still continue to fight. So he could rack this record up to 15 or 16. And if he gets it to that point, no one's ever touching it. No one's ever touching it. Um, like, his only two losses, Demetrius said, Brad Pickett and, and Dominic Cruz. They're both bantamweight fights. And Dominic's maybe the best bantamweight we've ever seen. Um, but like he's just since 2012 when he dropped down to flyweight when they introduced flyweight and he dropped down he's just been on an absolute tear like he has beaten everybody and in most cases done it fairly comfortably I think Benavidez is the only one that could maybe have an argument but then he went and knocked him out in the second fight so uh, you know it's it's I, I, I think Mighty Mouse deserves more respect Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Very, very um, underappreciated fighter, or at least underappreciated by uh, the powers that be at the UFC. But, um, you know, he'll, he'll continue doing his thing, and um, I'm sure that um, he's got several years of um, success as a champion ahead of him. Um, looks, um, you know, a very, very complete fighter and no signs of uh, slowing down. And as you say, at the age of 31, really is at the peak of his career. Right, so exactly. that that pretty much rounds up um, what we have for you listeners uh, this month. Um, very been a very busy month of UFC shows, um, less so for the month of October. Um, so the only other show in October that we haven't talked about is a fight night um, headlined by Donald Cabo Cerrone against Darren Till in a welterweight contest. Um, 
and um, that's a show take um, emanating out of Poland. So uh, yeah, I'll be honest, I, I won't be bothering to watch that. I don't think any... I'll, I'll watch it maybe the day after or a week after, but there's yeah. nothing really on it. There is a set. There is one more show after that though. You, you've missed um for out of, out of San Pedro, Brazil. Uh, Leona Machida against Derek Brunson is actually the 28th of October. So, um, again, it's a fight night. Again, it's not a particularly strong card. Um, Damian Maya is also on the card. And that's pretty much your lot. Nobody else that's really jumping off the page at me. Um, so, October Yeah, by UFC standard, October is a very slow month. But, um, I think November it ramps up again. I think we've got three, four. I think we've actually, I think we've got four events in, in November. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, huge. We do. We have four huge events November. in November. Yeah. We've got so, Madison Square Garden hosting UFC 217, uh, Bisping against St. Pierre that we talked about earlier on, which we'll go into depth. Um, and next and for me, the best fight on that, like that's just three championship fights on that card. And the oh, yeah. best of them is going to be Cody against TJ, and I I can't wait till the next edition of this show when we when we preview that card because uh, I'm really looking forward to two one seven. Oh yeah, it's sure to be a, a terrific event, and uh, looking forward to getting stuck into previewing that next month. Um, but that's great. So that that's pretty much it for this month, then, listeners. Um, so um, unless you've got any more plugs for this month, Dave. Um. Well, I did the On The Box podcast uh, with Gags. We uh, we covered Ozark, um, which is oh, yeah. probably the best show I've seen this year. Um, I obviously do my NBA Holes podcast with Joey Connors. Um, we probably won't have one this week. Uh, just my work schedule is a bit, bit all over the place at the minute, so we probably won't have one this week, but we'll be back the following week. Um, obviously another podcast, nothing at the moment, just because I, I just haven't had time. I literally, cause I've, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're moving home. I'm just so smashed with work trying to get everything done and, um, find a replacement for myself and then I'm going to have to train them. So I, you know, that's, that's a lot that's kind of been thrown on top of my workload. And, um, so, you know, I'm just, I just don't have the time at the minute. So I do this once a month with UMO and even, we've done two in like eight months or oh, nine yeah. months or something. So I haven't even, I just, that's, that's literally how busy I've been. I just don't have, don't have a whole lot of spare time. Um, so yeah. And then we'll obviously be back with this next month. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, listeners, um, as Dave says, we'll be uh, back next month where we will recap, um, what looks like a relatively subdued October, but we'll be previewing one of the biggest months UFC's had in quite a while uh, with a very um, action-packed and star-studded November and uh, really looking forward to uh, previewing all the shows they've got lined up for that month um, on next month's edition of MMA Monthly. Until then, take care and um, we'll see you next month.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.